There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of The Standard is a Standard. I'm Jeff Hartman, editor of Behind the Steel Curtain. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Lance Williams. And we have a lot to talk about today. And I do want to tell all our listeners, whether you're watching live on YouTube or whether you're listening on our iTunes account or on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, I want to let you know we're not going to spend a an absorbent amount of time talking about the game that was. We talked about that on a reaction show. You can check that out on all those avenues I just mentioned, all those platforms. There's a lot of news going on with the Steelers, and we're going to talk about all that. But Lance, I know you watched the film. I certainly didn't. I have no interest in watching that game film again. Um, why don't you go ahead and just recap what you saw, what you thought, and then we'll get right into the coaching stuff. Very briefly, I watched the first half, and it really looked like the Steelers were really unprepared for a lot of the misdirection stuff that the Jacksonville Jaguars did. There were certain plays, I think, on the first series where, you know, a tight end leaked out, and there was just nobody there in coverage, where there was a complete bust, complete miscommunication. The person just wasn't assigned a person to that particular player in coverage. They looked really ill-prepared. Also, um, something must have gone on with Hargrave's back because he wasn't in red zone, which I thought was particularly interesting. And a lot of the one-gap stuff that the Steelers were trying to do really just didn't help. I mean, you had the Steelers trying to guess where runs were going, overreacting to misdirection, getting out of their gaps, getting walled off. You also had Bud Dupree getting pancaked by tight ends, really showing a lack of physicality to it, playing with a high pad level. I mean, some of these things look really telling on film, and they didn't have a beat as to what Jacksonville was trying to do, which is mysterious because Jacksonville was pretty much a power inside A-gap running football team, A-B-gap running football team would play action, and the Steelers were just very – unprepared to deal with it. That's why, as we segue to the discussion about the coaches, it seemed very surprising as to what Mike Tomlin said about the defensive coaching staff. Well, and to com- you know, com- compound that, a lot of Steeler fans in the aftermath of that game have been saying uh, offense did their job. They put up 42 points, and that's true. But if you're looking for some comic relief, and I don't have to go back and watch the film to tell you this, Go back and watch the first three series offensively for the Steelers and just think to yourself the entire time. This is something that Lance and I talked about off the air after our last show. Think to yourself, these are scripted plays. The Steelers had technically two over two weeks to prepare these plays, and they looked like hot garbage from top to bottom. Horrible. Um, I just thought that the offense early was bad. And not so much the turnover, because that was bad. And then that 21 points in the first quarter changed everything. But ultimately, the Steelers coaching staff deserves a lot of blame 
for that loss. But, you know, I'm writing an article. I've already wrote it. It's going to publish tomorrow morning. Uh, that'll be Friday for those that are listening. And the question is, is it really all the coach? I get it. The coaching staff has to get their team prepared, has to have the team motivated. But at the same time, the players have to motivate themselves. The players have to go out and actually execute. Bud Dupree, don't get pancaked. Stefan Tua, don't play with such a high pad level. I mean, you're not a you're not a young rookie anymore. He's on his second contract in the National Football League. I for me, I always try to pump the brakes when it comes to demanding coaches be fired based on the fact that they're not the ones out there tackling. They're not the ones out there blocking. That's my concern, is that so much onus and emphasis has been on the coaching staff and the the issues that they might have had. But Lance, where do you walk that tightrope of coaches issues compared to players execution i think it's 50 50 you as a a former coach or maybe you're still coaching right now you're still coaching lacrosse right uh no i hung up the whistle last year that was my last you hung up the whistle okay so (laughs) and and i'm getting ready to start coaching again i'm getting ready to start coaching baseball again and it's 50 50 And, and and that's why coaching is so tough what coaches have to do is instill good habits in their players and really hold their players accountable to those habits and to those fundamentals that they teach. Then it's up to players to execute them, but you have to ingrain those fundamentals into your players, every practice, every time it gets. So if you have to rep it over and over and over again, so to it plays with a low pad level to where when he's tired, he plays with a low pad level. You have to do that. But then as the player, you have to take the teaching, you have to execute, and you have to do it actually when the bullets are flying, when you're tired, and in these game time situations when it's tough, you have to go back to your fundamentals and the teaching that you got from your coach on a snap-in, snap-out, day-by-day basis. So the coaches instill the foundation, and the players have to execute it. Yeah, I would say 50-50. I would even maybe lean 40-60, especially at the professional level. And these guys are supposed to be the best of the best. And there's always been bad coaches out there that have won because they've had great players. And the Steelers have great players. They just didn't play well on that particular day. I want to talk to you about one particular player before we move on to the coaching changes. And it has to do with a decision the Steelers have coming up. They have until May 3rd, I believe, is the date. Um, And that is Bud Dupree. Uh, They have to make a decision on whether they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. Um, In your opinion, should they do it? Because since it was instituted in 2011, they have picked up every fifth-year option except for Jarvis Jones. What do you? The Steelers obviously like to keep their first-round draft picks. What do you think the Steelers should do, and what do you think they will do? I'm going to say no, and the reason, and and the reason I'm going to say no is because picking up the option should be slam dunk for a first rounder. Yep. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't be a tough evaluation for us to make this decision because I believe if they pick up the option, he's getting paid like a top 10 linebacker at the position. Yeah, exactly. Equivalent to the transition tag. He yep. is not worthy of the transition tag. So I would say no. And if you have to debate it, it's definitely a no. Some of it may go into how they're utilizing him. So if he's dropping too much and you're not utilizing his skill set best, you have to examine that. But he is not a physical player. 
it shows up repeatedly on film. This is a guy that likes to use his athleticism. He does not take on blockers in the run game, and he does not set the edge. A lot of criticism about James Harrison, but the one thing about James Harrison in the run game is you know that James Harrison was going to set the edge. Bud Dupree does not play with the level of physicality that you would think given his physical measurables. So I would say no, because we're going to have, you're going to have to hand pick on whether you should. And he's definitely not worth the transition tag money for the outside linebacker position. So I would say no. Um, I, you know, you bring up a great point. If you're debating it, then you probably just answered your own question. But at the same time, right. I think, I think they are going to pick it up. Um, I think they I think they want to save face. I think he fits uh, the mold of what Butler wants to do in terms of having athletic speed players, especially on the outside where they can cover tight ends. Uh, he does have those athletic abilities. His pass rushing skills are what, and again, as you said, in the setting the edge part in the run game, uh, they leave a lot to be desired. And so that's a good transition. We'll probably talk about that again as we get into more free agent discussions uh, in the upcoming episodes. But today, the, the main meat, so to speak, of our discussion is, is going to be based around the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching moves, changes, all that stuff. So let me rehash it. On Tuesday, Mike Tomlin had his season-ending press conference. He told the media, not sure what's going to happen with the coaching staff. Need to think about it. Well, 48 hours later, Todd Haley has not been retained. He's gone. And Randy Fitchner, the quarterback coach, has now been promoted to offensive coordinator and he's still going to be the quarterback coach, so he's actually wearing two hats for the upcoming season. What we know about Randy Fitchner is the last time he called plays was from 2001 to 2006 at the University of Memphis. It was actually when D'Angelo Williams was there, um, and he was the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receivers coach, then promoted to quarterback coach, and then obviously he's been doing that for the last five years, and then he gets promoted to offensive coordinator. In my opinion, as an offensive guy, this is Ben Roethlisberger being the offensive coordinator. This is Randy Fitchner. They have a great relationship. Uh, I don't think it's like Bruce Arians. I think they, they they have a great professional relationship. I think they're very good working together. Um, I think this has a lot to do with Roethlisberger stating after the game on Sunday that I'll be back because he knew that Todd Haley was going to be gone. Um I think that Roethlisberger looked at the situation and said, I know that if, if Randy is the, the, is the OC, there's no doubt that I'm going to be able to do what I want to do. I'm not going to have to argue with Todd Haley over whether I think we should be running the ball, da, 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 whatever the case may be. The, the Steelers' offense had good numbers and good statistics, as they typically do when you have that many playmakers. But here's the thing. There's some really concerning aspects about this offense. And the number one thing for me is the red zone. They were in the bottom third of the National Football League in terms of red zone offense. That's not good enough. Situational football, Todd Haley struggled. You can look at those fourth and shorts. Whether Ben changed out of it, I don't know. Um, but obviously, if he did, you're not on the same page with your starting quarterback. So, Lance, go ahead. You have the floor now. Talk about whether you know, Todd Haley's firing was that is an, an injustice, so to speak, or was it justifiable? And what do you think about Fitchner taking over as the new offensive coordinator? I mean, working relationships matter. I mean, as you get older, when you work with somebody as much as they do, I mean, it matters. I mean, it, it makes the job difficult if the guy that you have to work with, you don't like. If you think the guy's a turd, it just makes it difficult. 
been it's late in his career. He's won two Super Bowls. He's a Hall of Fame guy. I mean, at this point in his career, late in his career, he deserves and has earned the ability to essentially pick the offensive coordinator. So I don't have any issue with that in terms of the working relationship stuff. You're absolutely right. Dead on about the red zone. And Ben has struggled in the red zone, be it with Wiz and Hunt, whether it be Arians, whether it be Haley, and whether it be Randy, I can't pronounce his name. I'll let you always say it for me. <laughs> um, so he, and, and I suspect that he's going to have issues because at times Ben is not a rhythm and timing guy. Um, in terms of Todd Haley, the offense was successful. You know, they scored a lot of points. Ben didn't get sacked a lot, which was the big thing. And I, I think Ben improved as a player under Haley. A lot less sand lot, a lot less five, seven step drop, a lot less stat chasing when he was with Bruce Arians. Here's my issue, and here's my concern. The Pittsburgh Steelers just got beat by the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Jacksonville Jaguars are the Pittsburgh Steelers. That Steeler football, the foundation of your offense is running the football and play-action football and playing strong defense. My question is, what is this offense going to look like when Ben Roethlisberger is essentially the OC and the quarterback coach? And do I think Ben is going to get coached tough by Randy? Say Randy's last name, Jeff. Fitchner. There you go. <laughs> I don't think either one of those things are going to happen. So, you know, I'm a little bit concerned that the relationship may be a little bit too cozy. As just as much as I'm concerned that the relationship was too adversarial at some point between Haley and, and Ben Roethlisberger. What I hope to see, less empty sets, more of a leaning on the running game, more use of play action. And I hate I don't have the stat in front of me, but Pro Football Focus did a stat about Haley's lack of using play action. And I would like this offense to be less about spectacular big plays that the Killer Bees made against the Jacksonville Jaguars and more about matriculating the ball downfield and playing to your strength and playing to the running game and play action, not being so much dependent on the big play and guys having to beat guys one-on-one, -on -one. letting the scheme win. Yeah, well, I have that stat because you had texted me it. Um, you wrote that the fact that the Steelers were dead last in the NFL in play action usage, 9.5% of passes with a running back like Le'Veon Le Bell in, in itself is a fireable offense. That's your statistic that you were looking for, right? Right. That's bad. That's bad all the way around. Now, and here's the thing. I think that if, if people want to ask the question, what's this offense going to look like if Ben Roethlisberger is truly calling the shots? Well, the first thing that I think of is look at your no huddle offense because that's primarily Ben Roethlisberger calling the plays. Right. And I've got to say that even in the no huddle, Ben will mix in the run. A lot of this depends on what they do with Le'Veon Bell. I think they keep him, but at the same time, if he leaves, it's going to change a lot. Um, 
it's going to be interesting. But here's I found this tweet. This is from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. He tweeted out this is about Randy Fitchner, the new offensive coordinator. He said, Richard, Randy Fitchner last called plays at Memphis from 2001 to 2006. The former Tigers head coach, Tommy West, told Fowler of Fitchner's play calling, quote unquote, a strength of Randy's was anticipating things coming up. He was really good at knowing what's coming and having plays ready for each circumstance. To me, that's an upgrade. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the rub, Jeff. Here's the rub. Okay. I'm the OC. You're going to be Ben Roethlisberger. I'm RF. I'm going to call him RF so I don't have to have (laughs) you say his last name all the time. Because Fitchner. I, I Fitchner. 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 Yes, there you go. You got it. Okay, Fitchner. I'm gonna still say <laughs> RF because you know how long it took me to say Hargrave. I mean, it took half a season, and Martavis, it took another half a season. So I'm just gonna go RF. Okay, just, RF I'm just gonna keep it that. Okay, RF's in a headset. Yep. You're gonna be Ben Roethlisberger. Got it. Hey Ben. I think they're going to shift the cover four out of this look. I'm expecting, you know, maybe they'll drop the free safety in here. These are the options I got. I think we should hit play A, B, or C. Let's go with that. No, in fact, I want you to call A. Let's go with A. Let's run A. You be Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I don't like that call. I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, so, I mean, so. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, with the guys being so close and Ben being the guy that really runs this power dynamic, I mean, the question is just how much control is Randy going to have? Is RF going to have when it comes to this? Or is this just going to be Ben running the show? And if it's Ben running the show, I mean, we know Ben stat chases, and we know that, you know, you'll see more of these fourth and one. Maybe he switched the call. Maybe he didn't. Juju got held, and that's why you don't pass the ball in that situation because your wide receiver doesn't get held. Yeah. Your back judge doesn't see it. So that that's the issue. I mean, are we going to see these 40 throws every game when you've got potentially Le'Veon back and Le'Veon Bell is arguably your best offensive player? And, you know, so – What's it going to look like? I mean, that that's the concern. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is, is and I didn't write this. I believe it was on the Tribune Review. Um, it might have been Tim Benz. might have been Kevin Gorman, two columnists for them. He put it best, in my opinion. He said, with Fitchner's hiring, Roethlisberger is out of excuses. So the Steelers are essentially saying, look, you didn't want Haley anymore. He's gone. You wanted Randy Fitchner. Here he is. You want to have a large say in the offensive game planning and all of that. Here you go. If if Ben f's this up, it's not on Fitcher. It's on him. This is what he wanted. He wanted Haley gone. He wanted to bring in this guy. So for me, I think ultimately it comes down to the the onus is going to be on Roethlisberger to keep a balanced look, uh, to take what the defense gives him and really do what. In my opinion, that got the Steelers' offense going in the second half, which was just give take what the defense is giving, because you have so many weapons on offense that there's always going to be someone available. Whether it's a check down to Le'Veon Bell, whether it's a deep shot to Martavis Bryant, who suddenly wants to stay in Pittsburgh, shocking. Um, you know, 
that's what that's my concern. Now let's shift gears a little bit from the offense. Make, go ahead. Let me, go ahead. More, let me make one more point, Jeff. Sure. This is what people who typically make excuses and throw people under the bus do. And we've seen Ben Roethlisberger do it repeatedly over the course of his career. That that just, just tends to be his nature. He's going to throw RF under the bus as well when it doesn't go right. I mean, yeah. and and he's going to do it even more freely because they're friends. He's going to say, well, you know, we're friends. He won't take it bad. I'll really throw him under the bus. So the excuses won't stop if it doesn't work. But I'm just hoping, I think you're hoping too, that the days of A.B. getting 19 targets it's a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, there's really no need for that to happen, and I agree with you 100%. So we'll see how the Fitchner offense goes. I'm sure there will be some more information coming out. They still have one more hiring to make on the offensive coaching staff. Richard Mann, the longtime receivers coach, he'd only been with Pittsburgh, I believe, the last four or five seasons. He has retired, 70 years old, just moving on to his uh, his life's work, as Chuck Knoll said, and they're going to bring someone else in. Rumor has it that Heinz Ward is going to be offered the job, whether he accepts the job, I don't know. I'm sure that'll be coming out here in the coming days. They want to lock up their coaching staff before they start their draft prep, as well as free agency coming up in the spring. So with that said, the offense still has a piece of their puzzle missing. One good piece that's staying is Mike Munchak, who turned down the Arizona Cardinals for a second uh, interview for a head coaching job because he just said he wanted to stay in Pittsburgh. He didn't feel like right now with his family was the time to move. So that's a big win for Pittsburgh, keeping Mike Munchak and that offensive line going strong. Uh, Let's go to the defensive side. This was probably the most shocking aspect for fans. I just held, as I was waiting to get the show started, I went on our Facebook page. Uh, you can go to facebook.com backslash behind the steel curtain, all in word. I did a question and answer session, only about five or 10 minutes. The majority of the questions, I had probably over 50 in that time, um, were on the defense and the defensive issues and the defensive coaching staff. Well, reports are saying that the defensive coaching staff from top to bottom are all safe. Period. That was from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Jerry Duwack, who had an insider source, who said that. Now, whether that's true or not, we'll see. But it should be interesting to know that uh, Bruce Arians was told that he would be safe before he was forced to retire. So um, there could still be some changes. But if they all stay, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, well, I don't want to judge this, this staff too harshly based on the Jacksonville Jaguar game. And... In our discussions that we've had off the air, me and Jeff talk a lot, surprisingly. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, the impact of Shazier was extremely significant. For, for one thing, with his athletic ability, he erases coverage busts, you know, bad run fits, although he was responsible for his share. He could turn bad defensive plays. He could minimize the impact of bad defensive plays, just like Troy. Also, when he went out, the deficiencies in uh, Bentz, is that what he's called now, Bentz Williams? Yeah, he that, changed back to Bentz. He said he'll earn that. He'll earn his killer B status next year is what he said. Like Benz, the Benson Spence show, it just shows you that both of those guys are below average 
players in the National Football League. But with Shazier mixed with Bentz, you know, it, it elevated what Bentz could do in that offense. It erased some of his deficiencies, his lack of speed, his lack of range, and his lack of instincts. And I, I think when you look at this defense moving forward, and unfortunately for Ryan Shazier, I, I hope he walks again. I hope his life returns somewhat to normal. I, I, I don't think he's going to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers again. And even if he does, you have to ensure that you have his replacement. It is, in, it is incumbent upon the Pittsburgh Steelers to draft an inside linebacker high in the draft. I think they also need a rangier safety than Mike Mitchell. I think they also, and what showed up in this Jacksonville game is the one-gap stuff and the one-gap scheme stuff that they're trying to do consistently and being penetrating guys all the time. It's problematic when it doesn't work because you could see in situations in the game where when they try to take on Jacksonville Jaguar blockers, meaning the offensive line, they had success in stopping the run. When you have an L.J. Walton doing a swim move in the A-gap, when he's on a tilt and getting wedged, creating a gap in which the fullback can hit anybody he wants, and so can the guard, you just can't stop the run that way. I hope there is a change from less one-gap stuff to two-gap stuff. But from a personnel standpoint, they have to get a safety, and they probably have to get two inside linebackers. Yeah, I, I told you this off the air. I think that Vince Williams can play alongside someone that has speed and athleticism. He's a downhill run stopper. He's not the guy that should be making the calls. He's not the one that should be diagnosing coverages. He's the one that should just be go downhill. And he had a good season. I mean, he ended up with, I think, eight sacks on the year. But like you said, it's tough for me to really harshly criticize this defensive coaching staff. And I know fans listening don't want to hear this based on the fact that the last time that we saw them was bad, which sounds really familiar to 2016 when they got blown out in, in Gillette. The last time we saw them, it was bad, but I actually like the cornerbacks on this team. Artie Byrne yeah. has room to improve, but Joe Hayden really had a bounce back year when he was healthy. I love Mike Hilton. He has some room to grow in coverage. I love Cameron Sutton. I think William Gay is gone. Okay, yes, um, yes. they still might take a, a flyer on a, a day, day three, you know, late round cornerback possibly, but they might like someone like Brian Allen, who they kept on their team for a reason to possibly fill that extra spot if they need an extra defensive back. But safety is a problem. Uh, Sean Davis has had his issues, but Mike Mitchell, whether he was playing healthy or not, they said he had an ankle injury. I think he's gone. It would save them about eight million in cap space if they cut him. Um, but even the past defense, which has always been the Steelers Achilles hit, it improved a lot. Um, it was one point at one point early in the season, it was the best. And then it, the best ranked secondary. And then it went down the second and then they finished in the top third. Um, but I thought it was much improved. The team set a new franchise record for sacks. I don't care how you get it. You had 56 sacks on the season. That's tremendous. So th there were some positives from this year. Um, they need to just, I think they could. You could see some changes. It's obviously not going to be coaching changes, but philosophy changes. You talk about the one gap, two gap schemes. Um, 
a lot of people are thinking go to a four three. I I really disagree with that because that, you, that'd be a huge mistake. Yeah, you don't draft a three four for years and years and years and years and years, and then expect to just. It's not like flipping a switch, and you just say, oh, yeah, yeah, now we're gonna go to a four three and expect all of these players that have a role within a three four. Look. Three four four three. They only play the three four. Their base defense about thirty percent of the time. So it's not like it's a huge change. They are going to be more uh, sub package oriented, like they have been under Butler and with Tomlin, who has a huge fingerprint on this defense. People, you want to know why the defensive coaches are safe? Because Mike Tomlin is a defensive coach, and I guarantee you, he's been in that meeting room the entire year, really trying to work this out. And because it didn't pan out, he has. He's trying to save face, in my opinion, by doing this. So, yeah, he'd be firing himself. Right. He'd be firing himself. And exactly. to, your, to your point, the four three, they can't do it. I mean, two and Hayward aren't four three ends. But it's 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 a philosophical thing. I mean, they have to put a priority on stopping a run. I mean, it's just. I mean, this is Pittsburgh. I mean, yep. the way they played the run this year, th- that's not that's not black and gold football. I mean, that's not being physical. You know, Tomlin always talks about the most physical team, the most violent team wins. This defense wasn't violent. This this is not a violent defense. And this is in a defense where, you know, when they want to stop the run, they can stop the run. I mean, it, it's just – it was too inconsistent. And that's the problem. And, and that's what makes it very hard to decipher and figure out is that at times they could stop the run and times they didn't. You'd rather either be good at it or bad. I mean, you can make an easier evaluation – both ways, but they're kind of just shaky and inconsistent. Stopping a run, you know, that's that's not the Steeler way. And, you know, we want to talk about the Steelers winning championships and beating the Patriots and winning seven rings. And until they can stop the run, until this defense becomes a feared defense and a defense that's a top five unit, it's gonna be it's gonna be problematic. Yeah. I mean, they, well, they've got to they've got to go back to hitting and being physical. Well, let's let's think about this for a second. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we'll be talking about this for the rest of the offseason. Um, the last time the Steelers had a dominant run-stopping defense, we go back to, in my opinion, when Casey Hampton was still playing. So you had Casey Hampton, uh, Aaron Smith, and Brett Kiesel predominantly. You can go back to Cuma Van of the recent team. Um, you basically had Aaron Smith and Brett Kiesel there alongside Casey Hampton. In my opinion, Tuit and Hayward are equally as good as those two ends that I just mentioned. The difference was Casey Hampton, number one, could take up two to three blockers on any given down, but also they ran more of their base defense then. Uh, Dick LeBeau primarily focused on that 3-4, and because Casey Hampton would take up at least two blockers on every single play, I don't think Hargrave is capable of that. He's more of a pass rusher. To me, that doesn't mean he couldn't develop into that, but his run blah, his run stopping definitely needs some work because what's happening. And you mentioned this and you sent me some still photos uh, via text message. You're getting guards and fullbacks clean to the second level. Yes, that that cannot happen. You have to keep your linebackers clean to flow and to make a play. And I know Ryan Chazier's loss was huge, but at the same time, it's fundamentals. And it's, it's the front doing their job and sometimes being unselfish that you talked about LT Walton with the swim move on an angled approach. That's not a smart football play for the team. That's stupid. Um, and you're going to leave someone else hanging out to dry. So in, in which, which happened by the way. Um, so for me, 
Um, <laughs> it happened a lot. Uh, for me, I, I look at it that way and say that, you know, the Steelers have to figure out what they want to do. They want to be a sub-package team, that's fine. They want to be a base team, that's fine. But they had to figure out a way to stop the run, as you mentioned. So, Lance, um, that's all the news. There's been a lot of news and, and a lot of stuff, you know, from, from Bud Dupree, uh, his fifth-year option, to Vance McDonald possibly coming back and not sure what's going to happen there. We are going to be back. Uh, well, I don't know. if we'll, we'll probably do a show next week leading up to the Super Bowl. Uh, but before we go, uh, Lance, I'm going to get real quick. What are your predictions on conference championship weekend? Who do you think is going to be in Super Bowl 52? Hey, man, I'm, I'm going to just go loose and fast with this. Yeah, that's all I want. I don't want anything in depth. I'm, I'm going to go Jaguars and Philadelphia. <laughs> and and with, the, with the bad ratings this year, I'm going to go Jags and Philly will be the least watched Super Bowl <laughs> in history. And Trump is going to get on the news and say, see, <laughs> I told you Man, the ratings I, are terrible. I'm going to go. Gonna okay. All right. I'm not going political here at all, but I'm going to go New England and Minnesota in Super Bowl 52. I think Minnesota is going to be the first team in the modern era, the, the Super Bowl era, to host a home Super Bowl. Should be pretty exciting. We'll be back, though. To talk about all that, we'll preview that a little bit, uh, give our picks and predictions. But, you know, we're going to start talking about things like team needs, draft needs. What should they be targeting positionally? Free agency. Who should they maybe go get? Who should they retain? Who should they let go? There's a lot to talk about, folks. We're not going to be leaving you like we did last year for six months. <laughs> um, but, Lance, I'll give you the, the soapbox here. Um, say what you want to Steeler Nation before we call it a night. Let me just jump into a what a WTF really go for briefly. it. Go for it. Um, the Roonies don't care what the minority owners think, especially a group of minority owners that own what maybe about five to ten percent of the team. That's maybe, generous, yeah. <laughs> um, they're probably going to tell those guys, shut the hell up, yeah. And, I, and, I, and and so the reports of Tomlin getting fired, he's not going to get fired. I mean, come on, man. I'm I'm turning 48 years of age, and there's been three head coaches. Does that mean, excuse me, that Tomlin is not above criticism? Absolutely not. Tomlin has shown over the course of his career he is a poor game manager. And he makes these logical leaps that are illogical. Like the two-minute warning call it was absolutely terrible. You know, you can't tell me you're afraid your defense can't stop anyone when you're asking them to defend a shorter amount of distance. It just, you know, that's like trying to tell you that the shortest distance between two points is not a line; it's a curve. Come on, you know. So, yes, he needs to improve in that regard. That is a distinct weakness. He's won 116 games as well. And the Roonies understand in this business of football that it is hard to win championships. And they are going to always ride with the guy that gets them to the dance over and over and over and over and over again because they realize you got to get to the dance over and over and over and over and over again to have an opportunity to win it. So he's not going anywhere. 
And I don't, I, I don't see him going anywhere for the foreseeable future. And if he does, he'll probably leave with Ben Roethlisberger and they will go out together as a package deal. So you have a good coach, Steeler Nation. You have a solid roster. You've got eight pro bowlers. You've got all pro guys. This was disappointing. There's no better place to watch football with friends than Buffalo Wild Wings. They've got all the games on wall-to-wall TVs and a new $5 game day menu with 38-ounce pitchers of Bud Light, Coors Light, and Miller Light, cheeseburgers and brats, and select cocktails. And every Sunday, you can play an exclusive fantasy football game with DraftKings with prizes like free wings for a year. Get to Buffalo Wild Wings for our $5 game day deals. When football is on, you have to be here. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Price and participation vary. Subject to restrictions. Limited time only you know yeah. just gotta get back at it next year i mean that that that's all you can do at this point i'm gonna give you a great statistic that sums up your wtf the minority ownership all that stuff in just one sentence since 1969 when chuck Noll was hired to coach the pittsburgh steelers there have been more roman catholic popes than there have been head coaches of the pittsburgh steelers <laughs> think about that folks they're not gonna fire mike tomlin so just stop it I don't care if you're a minority owner, if you own 0.005 like Bitcoin or something, um, you're not going to convince the majority <laughs> owners of Art Rooney II and his family that you're going to you're going to just get rid of a coach that just finished 13 and three. That's absolutely ridiculous. So, with that said, um, Lance, thank you for the time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you followed us on YouTube, if you haven't, check us out on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search BTSE Steelers Radio. Follow us on iTunes by searching The Standard is the Standard. And as always, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. We'll see you next time. Bye. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Drink run. Here we go. McCafe coffees, shakes, and drinks. Ain't no thing. You the man. Yeah, that's what they're going to say. Oh, Kevin, thank you so much. We love you. <laughs> that's right. You the champ. The drink run champ. Welcome to McDonald's. How can I help you? Own the drink run, Kevin. Own it. Now get a small smoothie, shake, or frappe for $2 on McDonald's one two three dollars menu. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.